It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show rolls on in Washington. We're at uh, the University of Washington in Seattle, and we're blessed to be with Coach Chris Peterson, the head coach of the UW Dogs. Hi, Coach. How are you? Real good, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, your work and your success from Boise State now to the Pac-12 in Washington uh, is not just on the field, X's and O's in football, from blue turf to green turf now. It's also behind closed doors. You work a lot on character and integrity with your young men. Tell us about some of that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I really think that if there's one theme that we would pride ourselves as coaches that would run through this program as we'd say it's built for life. And, uh, you know, we're passionate about football. I don't think anybody loves football more than us, our coaches. But we're really passionate about helping all these guys that we recruit here make great decisions, um, set themselves out, uh, for their future, to use football as a platform. And they have tough, uh, you know, it, it, we say this program and this process that we're going to put them through is going to be one of the hardest things that they've ever done. I think people from the outside don't really know what it takes to be successful here as a football player, as a student, as a person. And so that's what we do here. Social media is a big part of what we sort of talk about on this radio show. Um, and it has to be, I'm guessing, a huge part of what you try to educate your players with. Let's talk twofold. Uh, Pre-Washington Huskies player, they're in high school. You're recruiting them. How much, I guess, effort goes into your recruiting process to, I don't want to say weed out the bad apples from social media, but there's some 17-year-old there's some great football players in high school that are just not representing themselves that well on social media. How much effort do you put into that recruiting? I, I'm not sure. Uh, if there's programs out there that put more effort into it than us. And I, and there probably there probably are programs that put that much, but that that's one of our missions around here when we're recruiting. We call them OKGs, our kind of guys. Okay. And uh, what an our kind of guy is, an OKG, is, is a big-time football player that's a really good dude. I mean, it's that simple. And we have a whole criteria how we break it down. We're not looking for perfect people. We know – they're not out there. None of us are. But there is a standard. We think this is a special place. And they need to fit the culture. They need to, we need to think that they can do the things we're going to ask them to do. And then we get that right guy. We really try to educate them. Um, you know, guys that understand right from wrong and, um, and how to be a great teammate and, you know, how to push themselves and be disciplined and make good decisions. And all that's really hard, easy for me to say. But then our process here is really uh, coming at them from all different angles to, to help them grow. I wanted to ask you then when they become players here, uh, do you have any rules? I, I know you have rules. Do you have any, any social media, I guess, limits in place during the season? They're not allowed to tweet or after a game, especially maybe a tough loss, they're not allowed to tweet. Um, that's tough. Uh, and people used, coaches used to have those in place three, four, five years ago. But now each generation that grows up with, with social media, it's just a, 
I hate to say it's a part of life. It's, it's how they communicate. It's how that generation communicates. So in essence, if you put a limit on it, you're almost saying, don't communicate, stop talking. It's like, it'd be like my coach telling me when I was 18 in 1988, whatever you do, don't speak English. Right. So it's a way they communicate. How do you put limits on it and make it make sense if you do it all? And, and you're right. Five years ago, we didn't, we didn't use social media. It was like, we're not doing that. So there was a rule five years ago. Yes. And so now you're right. It's like, am I from Mars? I mean, that's, that's where these guys live. So that's, that's, not, that's not real life. I mean, that's our whole thing is real life. What's going on out there? And so certainly social media. So we do have conversations about it. Uh, like the one we had today with you. Um, less is more. You know, one of the most powerful words in the English language, uh, one of our speakers last year told us is, is send. You, you better think three times. Do you really want to do that? And it needs to be positive. And, and, and our guys sending a tweet out is completely different than the average student on campus. Mm-hmm. And so just all these, these different things, we don't necessarily have hard, fast rules on it, but it's a lot of times just common sense. Let's think about this. Be a good dude. OKG, our kind of guy. Uh, do you tweet? Do you have Twitter? Are you into it? I do. Um, I, I do. I can't stand social media. <laughs> if it wasn't for the job I have and recruiting guys, I wouldn't do it. You know, I just didn't grow yeah. up there. And But it is the world we live in. And in some ways, it's been really good for me to have to grow and get out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do do it because of my job. Coach Chris Peterson, UW. Uh, we're in Seattle, the University of Washington. The construction is done, beautiful facility, uh, moving forward with exciting things with Washington Huskies football. Uh, I want to ask you about last year, a graduating senior. We'll put you on the spot. Um, We talk a lot about character and integrity, and I think uh, football is one of the sports that you can really demonstrate character character and integrity the most. Um, It's just such a hard sport, and I'm biased because I love football. I played football. It's just such a hard sport, especially such a team sport, to have 11 guys work as one to reach a common goal. So one of your graduating seniors last year who's out in the world now, um, maybe in the job market, um, can you name a guy, and by name, I'll put you on the spot, who has incredible character and integrity, who's gone outside of his box to work with charities or organizations that maybe started a charity, that maybe started some initiative here as a senior uh, under you that is now carried on by the next freshman class. I'm just throwing out examples now, but I'm sure you've got probably 10 guys you could mention. But name one that's out there right now. What is he doing and why did he come to mind? Well, you know, it's interesting. We've only been here a short time. And a lot of these guys that we are still NFL dabbling in the NFL that's going on our third year. But what I think about is, is those guys coming back even after this short time. And there are a couple that are in the workforce, but even guys uh, that are in the NFL and coming back to all these life lessons that we're talking about and saying, Coach, this came up that we talked about. Like, I think some of these guys feel like they're, it wasn't just all about football here. It was about, you know, being part of something bigger than yourself, helping other people. The more that we invest in others, the more we get back, all those type of things. We've done this for a long time over at Boise, and the guys come back. And that's one of the reasons that we stay with our Built for Life program is because we get such good feedback from these guys that it's like 
they appreciate it. They might not appreciate it sitting in these seats right now, mm-hmm. and we bring in speaker, and 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 I, I'm kind of stingy in terms of who we bring in to speak to us because I want it to be what we're all about and our message. And there's a lot of good messages, but it needs to be concentrated on the things that we talk about. And so that's why we keep doing that. Is I, I get the feedback from guys that it's like um, this is important. Being a good dad. Well, most of these, you know, 98%, 99% of these guys aren't dads. But if we keep promoting that message and nothing is going to be more important to, the, to these guys in their lives, in the world, than being a great dad. You want to change the world? Be a great dad. And so a lot of that doesn't make sense. And we make them write it down. And then they'll, you know, after three or four or five years, and then five years they are dads. And then they start to connect the dots. That's, to me, what this program's all about. Coach Peterson. Thank you for the time. We want to uh, maybe have you back in the future on the show to talk about fatherhood and being a dad because that's a big topic on this show as well. Uh, The character and integrity through the roof with the University of Washington Huskies football program. Coach Peterson, can't thank you enough. I appreciate you coming here, Adam, and and, uh, giving a great message to the dogs. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. We're pleased to be in the Atlanta area on the campus of Emory University with um, an administrator. His name is Marlon Gibson. Hi, Marlon. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm well. And you? I'm fantastic. And Marlon, uh, you are in the student division or student affairs. You're the dean of students. What is your title? I'm sorry for butchering it. No, I I someday hope to be a dean. Uh, I'm the assistant dean for campus life, director of sorority and fraternity life here at Emory University. Okay. And we love getting your perspective as a campus administrator on uh, some topics we cover on the show, including student leadership, Uh, Charities, benefits, philanthropies, we know Greek life, the fraternities, sororities, they do a ton on campus to help out uh, their communities and nationally with with organizations like uh, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, uh, breast cancer awareness, stuff like that. What can you tell us uh, what your students do here at Emory to, uh, first of all, help out the Atlanta area, uh, and then what maybe sometimes uh, the kids do to help out larger national organizations? So one of the things is we're striving to take 15, 18 students to Jamaica to actually take it a little bit further to help folks. Yeah, for spring break this year. Our Sigma Chi's do a great job of working with Ronald McDonald House, and so do our women of Alpha Delta Pi. Our ZBTs are planning a philanthropy for the entire Greek community for, um, it's called Bikeathon. And hopefully it will become an actual philanthropic event for the entire community, uh, something that we hope will become a tradition here at Emory. And that actually raises money for the B-plus Foundation. And so that's a really neat initiative that we have going on. And then, of course, we also support our local Boys and Girls Clubs as well. Uh, and then any other things that we can help out with in the Atlanta area. And so our community continues to evolve and continues to help support Atlanta. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the, uh, that jumped out at me, the B-plus foundation? What's the B-plus? Because I always wanted to have a B-plus. I never got one. Uh, I was part of the C-plus foundation. Yes, but uh, yeah, what was the yes. B-plus foundation? Yeah, so the B-plus foundation actually raises money for children that um, are fighting with cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. and so it's a really neat opportunity. And actually, uh, your own fraternity, SIGUP, introduced B-plus to our community last year. And so they brought a national representative from the B-Plus Foundation to talk to our community. And one of the men learned more about it and has decided to make it a community philanthropic event. Okay, yeah. so a national organization, B-Plus Foundation, 
to help cystic fibrosis. Our listeners can look it up on online if you yeah. just Google the B Plus Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, Marlon and donate. And donate <laughs> yes, help out online. They want your money. Yes. Uh, Marlon Gibson is our guest uh, administrator here at Emory University. And the other thing you said that really piqued my interest is the spring break trip to Jamaica. Yeah. It's a service trip. It is. And I got it. You know, a lot of our listeners, we're all middle-aged. We think about our spring break, and it was just, you know, Fort Lauderdale and a yeah. bunch of dummies uh, acting the fool, playing the fool on the beach with a, with a can in your hand. Now, kids today are very socially responsible, and there are actual trips during spring break planned, mission trips, yeah. to take that week. Mm-hmm. You still get some nice weather. Of course, it's, yeah. There's a beach probably nearby, yeah, but yeah. you're doing good works. What are you guys going to be doing in Jamaica? So actually, it's through Delta Upsilon. And so Kay Shindell is the director of the Global Initiatives. And Kay spends a lot of time in Jamaicans, built relationships uh, with families there. So it really depends. We could be rebuilding a school. We could be rebuilding houses. uh, But Kay has built relationships to where when we get there, it's all laid out for us. Uh, Even our buses, all of our transportation, our lodging, and even down to our meals. We have a chef that will have all the meals prepared for the students that week. And so they don't actually have to go in restaurants and worry about trying to fit 15 people in the smaller restaurant. It's an amazing initiative that DU is doing. And so we're one of the few schools. I know that she also works with Iowa State University as well as UConn. Uh, and, of course, with DU and our Association of Fraternity and Sorority Advisors. Uh, Kay actually has led some initiatives through them. And so this is our first year for it. We're excited, and we're hoping that it will really be a hit with our community. And that's through Delta Upsilon, but who is Kay? You kept uh, yeah. saying Kay. Kay Shindell. So Kay is the director of global initiatives, and she works for Delta Upsilon. Okay. Uh, and so Kay is a friend and a colleague, and she's also the national president of Tri Sigma. Okay. Yes. And it's your first time you've done this. Have you done anything like this prior, close to this, some sort of mission trip during a vacation? Uh, I have, yes, yeah. uh, as a student. Yeah, okay. I went to the Bahamas. Yeah, I did a habitat trip. Well, that was rough. Yeah, it was really, really, really <laughs> rough. But somebody had to do it, right? Yes. And so, yeah. Um, but the thing there was when we got there, we had to learn where we were staying. We actually brought our sleeping bags. We slept on floors. Kay doesn't have that experience for us. We're not going to be staying at the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, but we will be staying uh, at similar to like a camping experience where you won't be on the floor. Yeah. Uh, but she'll be in like a cabin type experience. Uh, and so this is what we're going to do. And I know you probably, I'm asking you too many questions here because it's the first time you've done it with, with Delta Upsilon and uh, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know what the itinerary is as far as how many hours per day is there going to be work versus yeah. uh, free time? Is the free time unsupervised? I mean, is this kind of a, sp- a normal spring break, but just a couple of hours a day you got to do something good too? No, you're actually working every day from 8 until 4. Woo! Yeah, it's pretty serious. And there's actually a curriculum, so you have conversations after dinner about what you did and what you're, what you're gaining from that experience and how you're leaving an impact on that community. That is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You know, i got to believe, is, uh, you know, from my work with human resource departments, yeah. of course this is a great cause that's going to help people. Mm-hmm. But i got to believe that this looks great on a resume. Yes, absolutely. It does. And I think it's also a great conversation starter during a resume to talk about how you gave up your spring break to help somebody that's less fortunate than you. That's not even in Atlanta or New York or wherever you may be from. Now, you're not, um, you know, I don't want to give away your age because you look like a young man to me, but uh, I can't imagine that Bahama trip that you did with your mission trip was just in the last couple of years. How long ago was that? Oh, I graduated in 02. Okay, so uh, so a little bit. I, I would. I'm just guessing that back then it wasn't the norm 
to take a spring break and go do a mission trip. You, you had to have been one of the first ones. Is this, is this uh, socially conscious America was, was coming to, as we know today? You were on the forefront of doing that. Did people think you were nuts, your friends from high school? What are you doing for spring break? Yeah, and so actually it's hilarious that you say that because my fraternity brothers went the same time. So we were on the same cruise ship. And my trip was $100. And they weren't on the mission trip? They yeah. just went as idiots? Yeah. they had the complete <laughs> spring break where they drank until they fell out. Yeah, and mine was really different. And so, I mean, it was hilarious to see them on the same ship. Uh, and then, like, so mine was different. At night, we actually were able to go to the bars and areas like that. And so I would see them there. Uh, but it was a little different because ours was ran by campus ministry. So we weren't able to consume alcohol like they did. Okay. We weren't supposed to. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yes. I gotcha. Yes. Uh, yeah. So they're they're like, hey, meet us at the pool for beer pong, and and you're like, no, I have work to do. Yes. And I, they probably felt a little guilty. Yeah, because they got to spend their entire day lounging around while I actually had to like work and rebuild homes, and it it's something I will never forget because the faces that you get to see of the families who are going to live in the house that you're helping to build, mm-hmm. and how prideful they are in that experience is really phenomenal. Long story short, and the moral to this story is that years later, you're the assistant dean at Emory, yeah. and some of those guys on that cruise ship are working in a warehouse somewhere. Uh, well, some. But <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some are doing well, uh, and some are just still partying. Still partying. Yeah. Okay. They just never got it. They never grew up. Yeah. Well, we're uh, proud to have you on the show. He's Marlon Gibson, assistant dean at Emory University. Real quick before I let you go, this campus... It's like a movie set. I kind of there were parts of it when I was walking through. It made me feel like I was in Disney World. It's so picturesque, like a theme park, yeah. clean. Yeah. Like any of our listeners that go to Disney World, the first thing you think of is there's not even a piece of gum on the on the yeah. concrete. Yeah. It's it's like that here. It's beautiful. What can you tell our listeners on the other side of the country that are just learning about Emory mm-hmm. in in the Atlanta area uh, beyond what we just said about how picturesquely beautiful it is? What else can you tell us about Emory? It's a great place to learn. Uh, we were just rated number 21 uh, through U.S. World and Reports, and so it's a great environment. We have amazing students, and we really support our students. We really care for them, uh, and it really is a great place to be. Uh, our alums are proud of Emory. We're proud to call Emory home, and so are our students. One of my best friends from junior high school, who I lost touch with, with when he moved, mm-hmm. is an Emory, proud uh, Emory alum, and yeah. now I know why. So it's beautiful. Thanks for hosting the show, and uh, we wish you the best of luck with everything. And we want to do a follow-up report with you uh, after next spring break to find out how that mission trip went to Jamaica. Will you join us then? My pleasure. Absolutely. Okay, Marlon, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you, Adam. Thanks for coming, Emory. Send your questions, comments, or concerns to The Adam Ritz Show by emailing adam at adamritz.com. Continuing on now at the worldwide headquarters of International Fraternity Acacia with the executive director of this international fraternity, Acacia. He was an Acacia. He still is an Acacia. His name is Patrick McGovern. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Good, Adam. Good to be with you. I'm uh, so glad to have you on board uh, because of your expertise of being the um, executive director for our listeners. You know, that also goes along with just the boss. You're the head guy, the grand poobah, um, the operations manager, um, the CEO of this fraternity. And for our non-Greek listeners, the Greek life, the Greek scene, fraternities and sororities, usually people uh, are used to, you know, the letters, alpha, beta, 
from Revenge of the Nerds, or um, um, you can make up some funny ones like I Tapped a Keg or whatever. Uh, I was a Sigma Phi Epsilon. Some of my friends were Sigma News. So outside of those Greek letter organizations, this is Acacia. Um, and there's only a handful of, of non-Greek letter fraternities, Acacia, Farmhouse, anything else? Triangle. Triangle fraternity, uh, big math guys. I think that's why they're called Triangle. Um, tell us real quick the background on Acacia and the name. Sure. So Acacia is the only Greek fraternity that uses a Greek word as opposed to a series of letters to uh, for the name of our fraternity. So we were started in 1904 at University of Michigan by 14 Master Masons uh, who are originally parts of the University of Michigan Masonic Club, and they wanted another venue for uh, involvement and, and brotherhood within their community, and so they created Acacia. So for the first 30 years of our organization, you had to be a Master Mason before you could join Acacia. Um, so we really had some some uh, amazing initial founding fathers and, and uh, initial people in the fraternity. So what's the Greek word acacia mean? How does that translate? So there are six meanings that we, we sort of say. My favorite one is distinctiveness and leadership among mankind. No uh, kidding. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's one of them. Another one, uh, there is an acacia tree that grows in the Far East and, and really in a, in, in a number of climates around the, around the earth that is... Uh, survives the seasons with very little nutrients and kind of in the harshest environment, so it stands for survival and immortality as well. Is there a nut on that tree? Have I heard of an acacia nut, or did that just pop into my head for no reason at all? I believe there are some that have berries or of some sort. Oh, uh, it's like a blueberry, right? Like a pomegranate? Acacia? Like a... I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to get our we'll fitness and nutritionist on the show to tell us the, the food origin of uh, the word acacia. But the, you said leadership and distinctiveness. That's amazing because that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, as the leader of this um, fraternity nationwide, um, it's young men in college that uh, are learning how to be men and gentlemen, and leadership falls right into that. So I guess as their leader, uh, how do you approach those topics of leadership and philanthropy and character and integrity? We sort of come at it from two different directions. One, we try to help the guys better understand who they are and understand their own personal values, while at the same time coming from the other side and saying, these are our organizational values, this is what we stand for, and hopefully there's some congruence there. Uh, most of the time there is. Um, so we have, uh, through our Cornerstones membership development program, we have the guys do activities from clarifying their own values, establishing a mission statement, a sense of purpose, um, what their strengths are. Uh, so we, we really try to engage in uh, self-discovery, knowledge of the self, and then basically apply that out into the community from there. So um, in Acacia, our core values are virtue, knowledge, and truth. That, those are sort of our, our main values that we stand for. Our motto is human service. So a part of our fraternity is believing that being a leader is serving humanity in some way. So we, we believe that to be the highest ideal of, of mankind is to serve others. I love it. Serving humanity. And you were an acacia back in your undergrad days. Um, you still look like a fairly young guy to me, but it was probably what, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe tops? 15, yeah. 15. Okay. Um, has it changed that much? I mean, when you were going through new member education, new member programming at your acacia uh, chapter house. Um, now, you know, a lot's happened with, with technology and media, um, hazing, um, 
domestic issues, drinking. Now there's some drugs that, that exist now that never existed back then. So there's a, a, I'm going to guess and assume that a lot has changed with new member education and development. A lot has changed, Adam. Um, you know, one of the most critical factors for us to remain successful is to be adaptable and agile um, to our environment. So in the last 15 years, I was initiated in 1999 at Indiana, and um, yeah, a lot has changed. Unfortunately, we, we actually closed down my chapter about 10 years after I was in it, and we're re reopening now. Um, and we've got a bunch of new guys excited about being Acacians at IU again, and their their pledge ship is going to look quite a bit different from, from what it would have looked like 15 or 20 years ago. Um, we're much more intentional and specific about the types of conversations we have with our guys early on so that they understand their community and all the risks that are out there as well as how best they can uh, fit into the Acacia framework. Um, but just with the advent of the internet and social media and you know, iPhones, frankly, um, the, whole, the whole media landscape has changed and in, in the way that people represent themselves uh, has changed. So uh, we also train our chapters on um, wise use of public uh, or social media and uh, being conscientious and, and thoughtful about anything they put out there. Patrick McGovern is our guest. He's the leader and executive director of Acacia International Fraternity. International, you've got a location in Canada. We do at Carleton. Uh, our, our guys up in Ottawa, on Ontario. So they will uh, they'll be excited to hear a mention. Um, you've been up there. Uh, I, passport. I have not. I'm re <laughs> renewing my passport right now, actually. Um, so I'll be going to visit those guys probably before too long. Um, but yeah, we're international. That is pretty pretty cool. Um, before I let you go, I know you're busy. I want to uh, hit on a word that um, a lot of people associate with fraternities. Um, movies don't help, and sometimes it's funny in the movies, is hazing. Uh, it happens even in high schools, high school sports and locker rooms. There's um, the pro sport, NFL, you know, the rookies, they shave their heads. They don't even do that anymore in the NFL. Uh, anything considered hazing is enormously negative and bad, even if it uh, on the surface can seem fun. Hey, we're, we've got this activity. We're going to make our guys go to this party. We're going to make our guys drink this much alcohol. We're going to make our guys hang out with these young ladies. You know, as an 18-year-old kid, you're like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. If something goes horribly wrong in that scenario, there's, that's ha that falls into the definition of hazing. Those are felony crimes, and everything falls apart after that. Um, as I'm setting up this hazing, I guess, um, category, when I was in college, uh, before you were, hazing, I mean, it was, it was tough. It was uh, physical, and people got hurt. And thankfully, at my campus, nobody got killed or anything. But that was happening a lot in the mid-'80s and the late-'80s and the early-'90s. Insurance, everything's changed. In my head, in my middle-aged head, I still think, okay, there, there can't be that much hazing going on anymore. There just can't be because of my idiot generation going through the mid-'80s, ruined it for everybody. They got rid of hazing. Everybody's smart now. And then I keep hearing these stories. I mean, there's some guy. There's like 37 guys that just got arrested for a hazing death in New York. Um, it's still happening. Why is it that each, I guess, successive generation of 18-year-old kids can't understand that this can hurt people and be bad? Well, that's a great question. If I knew, uh, if you knew the answer, exact answer <laughs> to that, we'd we'd all be in a better, a lot better place. It's it's perplexing. It really is. Um, it. I will say my observation has been I've worked for the headquarters for nine years. My observation has been absolutely that that it's on the uh, on a downturn, and and the types of things that the guys may be expected to do um, are 
generally no nowhere near as severe as they they would have been in the 80s and and even earlier than that so i i do think the tide has turned in general um the other the other piece of that is um nowadays when one of these stories um comes out uh the the incident in new york um everyone knows about it immediately yeah, and that's true you know in the in the olden days you sort of wouldn't hear about any of those things so i think the severity has come down a lot um unfortunately uh, people mistreating others is is a part of human nature and we have to try to educate and prevent that as much as possible um, we um, we try to guide our, our chapters on the right way to welcome a brother into the into the brotherhood and initiate him and, and have in a respectful way so that he respects himself and the organization um, but it's, it's something that we have to continue to re-educate because uh, you know, every six months we've got a whole new group of people coming in. So we are sort of constantly in the business of re-educating and, and having those hard conversations with guys and, and trying to draw the consequences out of those type type of actions and, and, and then let them, you know, make their own choices to a degree, um, but hopefully they're along the right lines with some good guidance. We started the conversation and I threw in uh, I tap a keg as a misnomer for a Greek letter organization. Um, drinking has changed a lot over the years and what's allowed inside a fraternity house now. Uh, I don't know if, you're, if, if it's a dry situation. Some national organizations have just say nothing in the house, period. Um, certainly probably no kegs. I mean, when I was in a fraternity, we used to have a van from the liquor store pull up with 10 kegs and just leave them on our back porch. That's like ancient history now. That just doesn't happen. Um, yet there's still, you know, alcohol problems everywhere in America, not just in Greek life and college campuses, but it's certainly something you have to educate, especially an 18 year old kid who just got out of his mom's basement on uh, the dangers of how things can go horribly wrong, uh, in the world of alcohol. Now I know that bringing up alcohol is a totally different thing. Uh, that's a whole nother five hour show we could talk about, but real quick, um, how do you, I guess, talk to your new guys about the importance of responsibility when it comes to alcohol? We, we just try to urge them to, to always exercise caution and to always be your brother's keeper. Um, unfortunately, with, with a lot of the alcohol regulations that have happened in, in recent years, that has shifted some behavior to where uh, students have more of a tendency to have harder alcohol, more of it, and faster in a shorter amount of time. So, you know, back in, in your days when you were there and they were bringing in kegs, um, it, it was a massive amount of alcohol, but at least you kind of controlled the flow a little bit. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.